Thank you. So good morning, everyone. Welcome to Central. We're beginning that series, uh, Do It Afraid, with, a, with an introduction message, really, about what we can experience and hope to experience over the next few weeks. Now, some of you may well be thinking, Nehemiah, one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament, rebuilt the wall. Not only that, came, overcame so many obstacles. Why on earth would you call a series looking at the book of Nehemiah, Do It Afraid? Surely, if there is fear associated with leaders in the Old Testament, it can't be Nehemiah, can it? We've called it Do It Afraid because right at the beginning of the book, there is an insight there into the heart, the disposition of Nehemiah that reveals to us that what he did, he did in the presence of fear, yes, but more importantly, with the presence of God. And that changed everything. And I think far too often we can read books of the Bible, we can read stories of characters in the Bible, and we may be led to the conclusion that they are so unlike us that we would never be anything like them. And there's a part of that that's true. There is only one Nehemiah, there's only one Jesus. But in the same way, there's only one of you. And sometimes God may lead you, may cause you to step into a situation that gives you fear, that makes you anxious. And while Nehemiah's situation is going to be nothing like yours, the reality of what goes on on the inside of your heart in a season like that is exactly the same. And so we're going to unpack this book looking at how Nehemiah had to overcome so many obstacles, so many challenges many of which we know from the text happened with Nehemiah being very afraid, and yet he stepped into them. Why? Because God was with him. I want to give you an insight into the, into the theme for the next few weeks, uh, just for a few moments this morning. And the first thing I want to do is I want to remind you that there are two types of fear in the Bible. There's two types of fear. The first type of fear is the fear that needs to be embraced, there is essentially a type of fear that we need to embrace, and that is this idea of the fear of the Lord. Over 100 times in the Bible, we read of the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is a good thing that needs to be embraced. Now, when the Bible talks about a, the fear of the Lord, it is talking about us accepting God for who He really is. It is not talking about us being emotionally anxious because God is so holy other. It is not talking about us being afraid because God is all-powerful. It's talking about us recognizing that God is so different from us and to us that the right response is the response of worship. So when we read of those phrases like the fear of God, it should lead us to embrace the truth of who God is, and it should lead to worship. So, for example, a number of scriptures, Proverbs 14, 26 is one I like. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Notice that, please, because often when people will talk about fear and what to do with fear, they will tell you, oh, just have courage. But it is in the fear of the Lord, in the right response to who God is, that we have confidence. And His children 
even our children, will have a refuge. Last week, I was in the Ukraine. And as I was in the Ukraine, I met three pastors who are basically refugees in their own country. Because if you know the story, Ukraine is experiencing uh, basically a battle on its eastern border. And the Russians have gone in there, annexed a portion of uh, the country. And these three pastors fled. And they fled because in the days past, a number of their family members have been murdered because they were uh, pastors, because they were Christians. And so these three pastors basically were, uh, were afraid of what would happen. Under the, under the Russian rule, and they fled into the Ukraine, wondering what on earth is going to happen. In the fear of the Lord, they had strong confidence. And guess what? Now, their children have a place of refuge. These three pastors of, are pastoring churches, are planting churches in the Ukraine in what is a part of the most densely populated square kilometer in all of Europe. One of the pastors has planted a church where over 120,000 people live in under a square kilometer. Another pastor is planting another church where 85,000 people live in under a square kilometer. There was a situation there that they lived in fear of, but in the fear of the Lord, they had a strong confidence. God had helped them in the past, and He would help them again. And guess what? Their children have refuge. So when we talk about the fear of the Lord then in the Bible, it's not talking about us being anxious. It's talking about us trusting who God is. Yes, God is holy and His anger is, is right and correct against sin, but God is also love. And in that love, He sent Jesus Christ to die in our place so that His mercy, through His mercy, we may be given grace. That's a good thing. Now, there is also the type of fear that needs to be overcome. That's what we're talking about through the series. The type of fear that needs to be overcome. It's the type of fear that Nate talked about. The type of fear we experience when we go into a situation and we're aware of the worst. The type of fear we are exposed to, sometimes to our own genetic disposition, so many people in our country live with anxiety. 18.1 million adults over the age of 18, uh, sorry, 40 million adults over the age of 18, or 18.1% of the population live with anxiety. That's the type of fear that needs to be overcome. What we're going to do in this series is start to, what I think is correct, a, a false idea that we get courage as followers of God simply through mobilizing courage ourselves. It is in the fear of the Lord that we gain confidence. There's a type of fear that essentially needs to be overcome. And we're going to be working through that, looking at how Nehemiah dealt with the fear when he had to tackle some of the issues in his own life, and much of this will be applicable to our own. But as we think about this, this whole idea of overcoming fear, I want you to think about this question. How would you live if you had no fear? How would you live if you had no fear? For many years, I thought if I had no fear, I would have done what Vipka wanted us to do early on in our marriage, and we would have sold everything and gone off to some minute to some tribe in the jungle. Yeah, that's my wife. If I had no fear, I would be somewhere other than I am right now. If I had no fear, then my life would be so much different to what it is right now. 
How would your life be if you had no fear? On Thursday afternoon, I was uh, driving through uh, from London on the way back from the Ukraine. I stopped in London, jumped in a car, went across two and a half hours to basically go see some of my family for 24 hours in Wales. It's kind of funny. You, you, we live over here, and we think nothing of driving three hours for a coffee. All my family were like, are you nuts? And I'm like, yeah. But as we were doing this, uh, as I was doing this, I'd arranged a... Um, a kind of conference call with some of our team working through some of the things for this weekend and through next weekend. And the great thing with technology, of course, is they could, uh, hands-free system, they could actually Skype in. So we have not Skyping, kind of group call in, and, and we were having this conversation. And we were having the conversation, no word of a lie, as I was just coming to the sign that says Croissery Gummery, which is basically Welsh for welcome to Wales. There's a saying in Wales, you can take the Welshman out of Wales, but you never take Wales out of the Welshman. And in this moment, I said, guys, if I applaud right now or scream right now, it's because I'm home. Yeah, they all started laughing, and I went in through that sign, and it was just like they're feeling like I'm home. The grass is never greener for the worst person than it is at home. But I'm thinking about this. How would you live if you had no fear? I'm home. And I get to my mom's house, and I open the car, and I stand, and I just take a moment, and I look, look around that street. And I thought to myself, why is it that I'm so tempted to believe that if I lived with no fear, my life would be so much different to what it is right now? And it's in that moment, it was as if the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, Craig, do you not realize that it's even in the face of so much fear that you are where you are right now? And where you are right now is exactly where I want you to be. And folks, there's an important lesson in this. So many of us think that when it comes to fear, living with fear, we think, is a bad thing. Could I suggest to you that you, if you think about it, are very much like me in that your life is typified by a, by a whole host of emotions, some of which exist both at the same time. Fear, in a sense, is very much like doubt. I've shared this with you before, but the opposite of doubt is not faith. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is unbelief. Doubt is that experience, we can call it that emotion, that sensation, that basically leads us to a fork in the road where in this moment we have to choose. Do I believe God in spite of my doubt, or do I lean into my doubt and get to the point of unbelief? And I've shared it with you before that there is absolutely no problem that God has with doubt. The problem with doubt is when it causes us to not take a step of faith and trust God, even when we have the reason not to. Fear is overcome, not when we sum up courage. Fear is overcome when we recognize I have a choice here. I either lean into God and trust all that God is and all that God has for me, or I basically act in unbelief as if the whole world 
rests on my shoulders. Have you noticed how many times in the Scriptures we read Scriptures that talk about fear and the action that we're called to? Yes, sometimes it is actions of courage, but even in those actions about courage, there is, don't worry, I'm with you. Isaiah 41 verse 1, do not fear, says the Lord uh, your God, because He is with you, for I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will lift up that righteous right arm. What about uh, Joshua? Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Why? For I am with you. Or what about this one? Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. Anxiety. 40 million people in our country wrestle with this, struggle with this. 18.1% of the population. Don't be anxious about anything. But, what does it say? Muster courage? Does it say to sum up courage that's within you? No, it says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That song that we sang right at the start, Raise a Hallelujah, was actually written by a couple who were in an ICU as their child was sick, and the doctor said, we can't do anything. In the midst of this, in the midst of that fear, they wrote that song, I raise a hallelujah. In the middle of the storm, I call on you. That's what the psalm says. That's what the, uh, Paul says. And what happens when we do that? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guides our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. See, fear leads us to the point where we cry out to God. Fear shouldn't push us towards courage. Fear pushes us towards God. Friends, the antidote to fear is not for you to be courageous. The antidote to fear is for you to trust God. So where would your life be? How would your life be if you had no fear? Well, put in the context of Philippians 4, maybe it would be godless. Because for some reason, God allows those things that have the right to make, sure, make us anxious to lead us to the very place where we experience His presence. I've had a number of situations in my life that I've been anxious about. There are still some things that do. But by far, the biggest lesson for me in my life was a number of years ago where this happened to me. I hated this moment. Look at me. Oh, Lord Jesus. I hated this. <laughs> that chute comes out at about 120 miles an hour after three seconds. Then you got terminal velocity, and honestly, it doesn't feel like I'm falling anymore. And I think you may even see me crack a smile in a moment. Hey! <laughs> now, I want you to look at what he's doing to get with. whole thing is about 130 seconds, I think, something like that. (laughs) 
By the way, if you ever do a, a jump and they pull a chute, pull your belly in. So that's uh, basically it. Now, in a moment, you'll see uh, the guy on the ground, and you'll see Vipka come in. Vipka bought me this for my, uh, this Vipka. Vipka bought me this gift for my 40th birthday. I was 43 when I did it. <laughs> Why did it take me three years to do this thing? I don't like heights. I'm not going to tell you I'm afraid of heights, but I really don't like them. Really don't like them. When I sat on the edge of that plane and I looked down, I think we were about 14,000 feet or something, and I looked down, I put my head back up because right there, I was right there with my fear. Now, what made me jump? The guy I was attached to. <laughs> I didn't have a choice, did I? See, I was attached to this guy, South African guy by the name of Solly Williams. Solly is basically known in the skydiving world. Have any of you seen those videos where like 60 million people jump out of a plane at the same time and they all got to do these tricks? Solly trains them to do that. He's a South African guy that was jumping in South Africa. And I asked him, how many jumps have you taken? By that time, I think he jumped 60,000 times out of a plane. He won silver medals with the South African World, uh, with the world Championships, and then he got, came over to America on an S-1 sporting visa. S-1 is the highest form of sporting visa that you can get. So the guys that play NHL and uh, NBA, the, the uh, foreigners that will come over, they come over on S-1 visas. Solly was so good, he had an S-1 visa. He then jumped... Uh, uh, jumped with the Americans, won gold medals. And uh, while I was there that day, somebody says, do you know who you're jumping with? And I said, yeah, Solly comes to my church. And uh, he was like, no, I asked if you know who you're jumping with. I said, yeah, he jumped a few times. And he said, no, I asked if you know who you're jumping with. I kind of realized I didn't. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked me three times. And he said, do you know, do you know this guy, what this guy did? He said, listen, when you, when you fall when you're falling like that, even taking a breath at the wrong time will push you out of movement. He said, this guy revolutionized skydiving by introducing a technique that was so radical for skydiving that it revolutionized skydiving in the way that Dick Fosbury revolutionized high jumping. You know, Fosbury, before him, everybody used to do the high jump. I'm not going to do it. I'll probably pull it around and split my pants. But they kind of did a little straddle as they went up this way and then went over the bar. Fosbury came along and he revolutionized it and kind of went out. Everybody went up over the top. He said, that's who you're jumping with. Do you know why I faced my fear that day? It's because I was literally attached to the right person. There's a lesson in that, isn't there? Do you know how you overcome fear according to the Bible? It's not through mustering up the courage, because I'm telling you what, I understand. When you face your fear fully in the face, why it is that you don't want to take it on? That's what fear is. It paralyzes you. So what makes you go through it? For I am with you. It's that knowledge deep in your soul that God's got this and God's got you. Oh, and Solly did have me. As we were going down, he was pointing the way, all the way. At one point, he had a little bit of fun with me too. Hey, I got this. Close your eyes. Trust me. It's kind of like the step of faith, right? And he's also checking the environment. He's in total control of the environment. He knows what altitude you're at. He had the whole thing under control. 
I shared this video the first time after, you know, I'd done it, and I shared it in Tampa, and up came this SOCOMS leader in the special forces, and he said, do you and your team want to jump with us? I was like, nope. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you face a fear, the, the temptation to be paralyzed is massive. So what do you do? What do you do when no amount of courage is going to take you through? You know what you do? You do what the Bible tells you to do. You recognize God's got this and God's got you. God's got you. What's all of this got to do with Nehemiah? Nehemiah in chapter 2 is overwhelmed, he's burdened, and he's got a job as a cupbearer. This is the first two verses of this. In the month, this is Nehemiah chapter 2, in the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Aristarchus, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. He took the wine and he would taste it in order to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. The cupbearer had the responsibility to be happy and jovial around the king because his job security and his life security depended on it. But he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed because he's heard in chapter 1 about the state of Jerusalem. And he spent chapter 1 praying to God about all of this. And he said, God, what, what can be done about this? I had not been sad in the presence of the king before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Now, here we go. I was very much afraid, but. Folks, some of the best things that you will ever experience in your life are often done in the face of fear, not with the presence of faith. I was very much afraid, but. That is a big but. What do you do with your fear in a moment like that? But I said to the king, king, live forever. I'm not trying to poison you. I'm just weighed down by this problem, and I just don't know what to do. See, here's the point. Great things are often done afraid because the antidote to fear isn't courage so much as it is adoption. I'm sick and tired of hearing people say, don't be afraid, be courageous, be strong and courageous. They forget, for I am with you. What does Jesus say in the Great Commission? Uh, Great Commission? Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and fear not, for I am with you. Folks, the answer to anxiety, to fear, is not courage, but it's adoption. Romans 8, 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, your adoption to daughtership, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Notice the connection there of fear, the spirit, adoption, and God's presence. The solution to anxiety, the solution to the, to the challenges that God is going to lead us into is not for us to just go do it, as Nike would say, it's for us to ask God to help us do it. So why this series, Do It Afraid? Firstly, at Central's journey. What God is doing in our church and the opportunities that we are having throughout the world, it just beggars belief. And as I look at these sometimes, I'm like, God, there are so many challenges with each of these, and I can be tempted in that moment to be driven more by fear than by faith. 
And folks, we're doing this series because God wants to speak a word to each and every one of us to challenge us as a faith community to say, do not allow faith to hold you hostage. Rather, lean into the presence of God and know that God will guide you. I believe this is God's word for us as a church. We're going to do some things afraid. And it's not the presence of fear that's going to make it wrong. It's actually the presence of God that's going to make everything right. Secondly, people's reality. Nearly 20% of Americans live with anxiety of some kind. Nearly 20%. And you may be one of the 20%, or you may well be someone who is in a season of your life right now where business may not be going so well, where your relationships may not be going so well, where there are issues you're having to deal with and you're getting filled with anxiety. You're starting to wonder. Through this series, we're going to encourage you not to take courage, but to trust God and take courage. Because that's how a Christian deals with anxiety. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to finish the service right now by taking our worship to the lobby. In the lobby, you'll see a couple of uh, stands out there, mission opportunities, but you'll also see some C6 tables just out there. C6 is a a six-week study where we have prepared materials that accompany the sermon series that we're doing, and C6 just gives us an opportunity to delve into uh, the Word of God in the context of community with friends for six weeks, for one hour in a week. If you sign up for a C6, you will know about your group by Wednesday of this week. And I want to encourage us just to leave this service and to continue our worship in the lobby as we engage with one another in what God wants to do in us to bring us to the point where we trust God in all things, even when afraid. Secondly, if you're a lady out, a lady out there, we do have Carrie Garcia and uh, Hosanna Poetry coming in on, uh, on the weekend of March 1st. They're going to be doing a series, something they've taken around the country called Something New. A, a part of what they're doing there talks about how fear can grip uh, ladies and what God wants to do to speak into that. So just outside by entrance A, there's also the opportunity to, for you to sign up for something new. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to seal what I've shared today, and I want to encourage you over the next six weeks, journey with us. Journey with us so that we would learn that it is okay to do some things afraid. And I want to suggest to you that some of the most important things that God is going to do in your life over the next year may lead you to experiencing some form of anxiety. What I want you to realize is the presence of fear is not the absence of God And it's not an indication of your doubt. It is rather an opportunity that God is giving you to experience the blessing of Him as your Father. Let's stand together, shall we? Let's pray. Oh God, we we love you. And Father, this morning we accept you for who you are. You're a holy God who has a righteous anger against sin. But Father, we we thank you that you are also a loving God who despite that sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that we may know not just the forgiveness of sin, but we may experience hope and life while we live. And your Father, we also recognize that there are major moments in our life when anxiety or fear may overwhelm us. 
Father, as we journey through the book of Nehemiah over the next six weeks, won't you just open our eyes to help us see you throughout every page that we read? And may, Father, the, the, the God who we read about in the pages of history be the God that we experience day in and day out in our own lives. Give us the courage, Father, to do those things that are important to you, afraid if need be, but in faith at all times. God, we love you and we worship you in Jesus' name.